welcome to the Astor Economic Review. My name is John Eckstein. I'm the Chief Investment Officer of Astor Investment Management. I'm joined today by my friend and partner, Rob Stein. Rob, hello. Hey, John. Happy New Year, if I can still say that. Happy New Year to you. What's the limit of Happy New Year? 15 days, 10 days, certainly 10 days, right? 10 days. I heard people saying it in February. You, know, <laughs> you say it when you don't know what to say to somebody other than hello. So. That's why I say that all the time. I never know what to say to people. So we are recording just after the payroll report came out on Friday, January 6th. We are going to go through the economic news of the new year, which is mainly the purchasing managers reports and the payroll report. We'll talk a little bit about what we see for Fed implications. And before we get there, I'm going to say the economy in a nutshell. My view is that I mean, we do see a few signs of slowing, but we don't see it in the most important area, which is the level of job growth. And so I'm going to see we see moderation in the rate of growth, not reduction in the rate of growth. So I see us still in an expansion, even though there are some weak spots. And until people start losing their jobs, I'll probably have the same opinion. What do you think, Rob? Uh, yeah, well, you've been right so far, so it's hard to buck the John Eckstein trend. Uh, <laughs> That's what Jake Powell always says in the press conference. <laughs> I heard. When I was speaking to him, <laughs> he was like, John Eckstein. I still am in the camp that this gets pretty ugly, but we at Astor are always, at the end of the day, it's about jobs. You know, We look at all kinds of data, and we always put a little bit more emphasis on jobs. We do this podcast on this day because it's the job release. So it can't go against what our research has shown that jobs are one of the most important data points. And we're still adding 200 plus thousand. So it's looking like the softish landing or maybe even a consolidation and a reacceleration. It's looking like that. But I don't see how that could be the case. I'm <laughs> looking for a cliff. You got a, the coyote economy, right? We've mm-hmm. run off the cliff. Our legs are still running, but we haven't fallen yet. It's exactly what I'm visualizing, what I'm seeing. But I don't know how much longer we could have job growth like this before the economy starts to accelerate. Yeah. Uh, we've had some wage growth, not quite enough. But is it possible that the cliff is literally in inflation? Mm. Is there suddenly, you know, prices stop accelerating, wages catch up, people are working. I think that's the most important thing. They could juggle when they're working. And so unless I see a big drop in jobless claims, I'm going to say you're right, but I'm going to say that the impact from the higher rates has not been fully worked through the economy. I think used car prices just started to fall aggressively, housing prices. I know about supply, but... I'm starting to see some of these things. That's fair. Let's run later into the numbers real quick. So last month, December, change in non-farm payrolls, 223,000, a little bit above expected, though there was a slight downward revision, but basically, you know, still running at a very strong clip. Unemployment rate dropped from 3.7 to 3.5. Average hourly earnings seems to be decelerating a little bit. Last month, it was 5.1, which had, that's been actually revised down. And this month's number was down further. So this month is 4.6. The work week in a touch. The labor force participation rate is up 
So sort of behind the scenes, if you remember, like we were talking about the difference between the payroll report and the establishment report, I'm sorry, the household mm -hmm. survey and the establishment survey, that a relatively wide gap was opening up between those two. And so this report moved in the establishment survey's direction, the more jobs direction. They haven't quite matched up yet, but the surveys agree more closely now than they, they did a, a month ago. It's definitely more consistent with the view that's occurring that I think we see. Yeah, I mean, the jobs are, so there was some sort of talk that the establishment survey would get revised down because household survey was going to be more accurate this time, but that doesn't seem to be the case, right? Seems to be the household surveys moving up to meet the establishment survey. All right, so let me make my argument for soft landing. I think the argument for soft landing is Payrolls are still high, plenty of people getting jobs, no one's getting fired. And at the same time, wage growth is moderating a little bit. We know that CPI has come in, sort of the tea leaves, like you were saying, the used car prices, rent prices, those have some declines baked in the cake already. The headline CPI numbers are going to moderate. And so maybe the Fed has done enough. They're going to basically stop. They shifted. They went from 75 basis points in November to 50 basis points in December, and maybe they go to 25 basis points in January, and they do a couple of 25s just to keep their hand in and say they're careful, but basically stop the aggressive rate hikes and wait to see if anything happens with the famous long and variable lags. So that's sort of, that's the case for the soft landing is that we've gotten a moderation in growth and CPI is going to come in, whether because of what the Fed did or because it was going to come in anyway, who cares? Because the important thing is that it's coming in. So you want to poke holes in the soft landing case? It's just the lead lag, right? I agree that the Feds are going to keep their spoon in the soup because they have to. But I think you're going to start to see at some point market performance. They've ignored that this entire cycle, which I'm proud of them for that. But I, right, meaning I that they're not cutting if the stock market goes down, right? They don't seem to care. You know, 30 plus percent in the NASDAQ, 20 plus percent in the S&P. They're sort of like get used to it. I guess um, the, the issue is that we, would they hike more if, so the stock market's up 10% in the next six weeks or three weeks. Do they start hiking more? Do they start sounding scary? Yeah, I do. I, I think behind the scenes, they're saying there's, even looking at a chart, and I you know, know the Fed doesn't base its policy on charts, but they do look at them. They have a Bloomberg. You look at the direction of lots of asset prices over the last two years, three years, and I think the Fed is saying, if you want a lengthy expansion for another decade plus, we need to crunch this stuff, the infamous 50% correction in asset prices. And so I don't think that they're disappointed if housing and stocks have a one, two, maybe three-year down streak. So I kind of agree that a higher market would have them continue to press on the accelerator and a lower stock market, they seem to, it's kind of what we want, it's working. Yeah, I think they want sort of title fiscal conditions full stop, right? Like that's what, that's what they want. And sometimes that means higher stock market prices and sometimes that means lower bill prices higher bill rates, they're happy with however they get that. What do you um, think they think about the inverted yield curve? I got to say, like, I don't think 
maybe so this is probably projecting like i don't really care about the inverted yield curve like i don't buy it like there's no sort of mechanical relationship like it happened to have worked but you can't say like the yield curve is inverted by one point so we're gonna be a recession like i think you should be looking at the economic fundamentals not not the yield curve as much i completely um, agree so i mean i do so there's the question of like the sort of long and variable lags is the how we not see much of the damage that we're ultimately going to get in the economy. And that's possible, right? So one place that you would expect to see economic activity weakening a lot is in the housing market. And we do see basically people are only moving now if they have to, for some reason, because mortgages are so high, mortgage rates are so high compared to where they've been in the last few years. And you do see housing starts decline and you see turnover declining, but you don't see construction employment declining, right? So why is that? I think the answer there is because there's so many unfinished houses, right? Like the houses in between starting and completing is as big as it's ever been. And so there's this, still this huge sort of overhang of uncompleted houses that they're waiting to finish building. And there's still demand for them, right? So. Oh, yeah. Right. So, so you're talking about house prices. Like, I don't see house prices going down significantly. Right. Like, they could, they go down 5% and stay there for a while. And so then they go down a little bit more in real terms if inflation is still high. But it's just like we don't build enough houses in this country for that everybody wants. So, housing price is going to stay high. Like, there's just no way around it. That's why I see the housing world. So, I think it's going to take a while to see people laying off construction workers, like, getting laid off, right? Like that's not on the cards in the next six months. You know, if rates stay high and the economy weakens a little bit more then maybe, but that sort of channel of economic weakness, I don't think is happening. No, it certainly isn't. We'll see if this lag effect is just longer, you know, you're raising rates, inverted yield curve. They did raise rates quite quickly, right? So you could say that there's the only people who say like none of the rate hikes have made a way into the economy yet. And I don't think that that is true, but is it possible? And there's a, the Kansas City Fed, I think, had an article this week about how because of all the forward guidance that the lags are much lower than they used to be in monetary policy. So that's another argument for the lags not really being a hangover. So- before we, it does seem reasonable. Before we jump into giving the Fed our free advice, <laughs> let me just talk about the purchasing managers indices for one sec. So we track four purchasing managers indices, two from the ISM, Manufacturing Services, two from S&P Global, Manufacturing Services. So the ISM, the manufacturing numbers were both a little bit below 50, so growth is not increasing, but... All right, so this is going to be tricky to say. So basically, the way they measure the index is you ask the company, is growth increasing or decreasing? And if you're increasing, you go above. So the number above 50 means more people are saying growth is increasing than decreasing. But when you take that number and try to map it onto GDP and like run a regression, you get a number where GDP is increasing or decreasing. That number is actually not 50, it's 42. So like as long as, or 43, as long as 
ISA manufacturing is above 43, we've got positive growth is what they say, just according to that metric. So we're still in that area where growth is positive. We expect GDP growth to be positive, but the ISM number is a little bit negative. So I guess you can interpret that as below average growth, maybe. The interesting thing that happened today was that the ISM services index came in at 49. It's very rare for that growth, for that number to go below 50. Basically, it only happens in recessions, except for like three other days, three other months, just a handful of other months. So that is confirming. So if you had only been tracking the ISM, you wouldn't realize this. But if you track the other nuns, you'd know that the services look weak in them too. So like our proprietary model of purchasing managers indices was, had already declined. So this is the last of the four to show weakness. So, you know, still all that being said, like this is still a soft number. It's not counting dollars in bank accounts, not counting people going into the factory to work, but these numbers are unambiguously showing weakness. Yeah. So, you know, it kind of circles back to the theme that there's one very strong pillar that doesn't seem to even be flinching and it's the main pillar and all these other data. The whole world, the whole world is riding in the back of the American consumer. As they have, as they should, as as, they <laughs> as it seems to make sense, right? People like every time there. every every time you go to Applebee's, people all over the world should be saying thank you, <laughs> right? Or you know, slightly up a notch, the iStore, Apple Store can't even get in there, but we'll see, we'll see. What else should we update our listeners on? We've got a, another Fed meeting at the end of the month. I guess my view is changing. My view was that in my notes that I sent around two days ago, I was saying that the Fed was going to hike 50 basis points again. Now I'm thinking they're going to only hike 25 basis points again this time. And they'll go to 25 and stay there for the rest of the first half of the year, I would guess. And I mean, I guess we'll get some Fed comments, hopefully after the next inflation number, they have a blackout period, but when does inflation come? So we're in February? Inflation comes in the 12th, so next week, next Thursday. So yeah, I think we should have a few days between inflation and the blackout period for the Fed to give us a hint about what they're gonna do. But yeah, I guess I see the Fed slowing significantly based on, seems like they, kind of hitting the bullseye now, right? Like growth is slowing, but still positive. Inflation has slowed. People think it's going to slow more. Why not take the W? Yeah, because if you look at a chart of CPI versus Fed funds, and you know, I got it, the lag effect, again, the infamous lag effect, it looks like it's the lowest you know, it, if you subtract the CPA from the Fed funds, and it's negative. And I, I think the Fed tries to get somewhere close to 60% of that number. Now, that number has accelerated quite aggressively in the last 12 months, and wouldn't it all be surprising to see that level off? But you can't argue with the fact that you know inflation, what did it end up coming in year over year? Seven-ish, right? Core inflation, uh, core CPI was 6% year on year. As of November, PCE, core PCE was like 475. So well above their target. Well above their target. And you still have Fed funds below that. So it wouldn't surprise me that they're going to try to get there in the first quarter. 
and then kind of wait out and see what happens with inflation. So I'm in the Fed is, is still raising at their previous rate, and they need to see much more signs of cooling inflation before they go to their quarter point, put the car on autopilot. Oh, interesting. All right. So I guess we'll have to check in in a month. Listeners can check in in a month and see who is right. Well, we're both saying the same thing. It's we are, but you know, we 60 have to, or 50. We've got some 25 or 25 or 50. Hey, I have something to talk about. Got to sell ads on the podcast. <laughs> um, I think we will leave it there and I'll see you in the investment committee, Rob. Great. Thanks. Cheers. Thanks for listening, everybody. And if you want more information, please reach out to your Aster sales rep. To learn more about Aster Investment Management's research and strategies, please visit us on the web at www.asteriam.com or stay up to date by following us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and our app is also available on the App Store and Google Play. Thank you. Aster Investment Management, LLC, is a SEC-registered investment advisor. All information contained herein is for informational purposes only. This is not a solicitation to offer investment advice or services in any state where to do so would be unlawful. Analysis and research are provided for informational purposes only, not for trading or investing purposes. All opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and subject to change. They are not intended as investment recommendations.